Good morning, everybody. Today's reading is from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. If you didn't bring your own Bible in the Pew Bible, it's page 980. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Fa- God the Father. This is the word of God. Well, good morning again, church. It is a blessing to be here this morning to be able to share with you from God's Word. The key there is it's God's Word, so as long as I'm sharing what He has written, we'll be good. (laughs) Amen, indeed. So, we've been going through this series of one another. The beautiful tree there, you know, the project we've been working on, as we see it just kind of blossoming and growing, and it looks beautiful. But the idea of one another is something in Scripture God has called us to do, to care for each other, to love each other, to welcome one another, to teach one another, to be kind, show honor, and last week, to exhort. And there's so many more. But it's important to realize all these things that God is calling us to do requires us to be in community. You can't do it in isolation. As much as we may want to just watch or just experience church from a distance, That's not what God called us to. He called us to do these one another's together, which means getting to know each other. Small group, getting to know one another in a small setting so you can share your lives. Because without that, how will you ever know someone else's needs? How will they ever know your needs? So think about this as far as our church. You're walking the halls of Grace Baptist Church. What are some of the people you come across? How do you respond to them? What, if, what are some thoughts you may have had if you saw someone who was homeless, or at least looked homeless? How did you treat them? Did you show them love? Did you show them 
honor? What about a friend who stopped you to share their story and their struggles? How did you treat them? Did you love them and choose to listen to them? If you have children and they studied and worked really hard for a test, regardless of the outcome of the test, did you show them honor and congratulate them on their hard work? If you have a spouse and they've had a rough day, were you willing to stop and listen to them because their suffering and their struggles matter to you? These are some ways we answer those questions. These are some ways that we can show love, respect to others. But could you do each of these things and love these people on some level and still walk away feeling that you're better than them? Still feeling a sense of pride that I'm coming alongside them because I know best? Think about the homeless person. You could walk away from them and imagine all the bad decisions they must have made to get where they are. Be a little proud that you made better choices. With a friend sharing their struggles, you could get to the point of saying, this is going on a little too long. I got bigger and more important things to do. I don't have time for this. And even to your children, you could ignore their attempts to talk to you, but expect them to jump at the sound of your voice because you're more significant. If you're married, you could listen to your spouse, but then you could also, after that, evaluate their decisions, their choices, and let them know how their mistakes led to their outcomes and how you would have done it differently. But is that loving? Is that coming from a place of care or pride? God's command for us to, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves is extremely challenging. Why? Because we are proud people. Our sin nature compels us to strive for significance which usually translates to undervaluing others in order to build ourselves up. So as we look at this passage in Philippians 2, we need to wrestle with what God is calling us to do, why he's calling us to view others with such high esteem, and how we can grow in our ability to count others more significant than ourselves. So let's start with the first question. What does it mean to humbly count others more significant than yourselves? Well, look back at verse 3 from the passage that Walt read for us. Verse 3 said, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So what is the right view of ourselves? Well, it's not from a place of rivalry or conceit, but humility. Because rivalry and conceit flow from selfishness. The desire to be valued and viewed as significant leads to competing with others for worth, becoming puffed up with pride. Whereas humility is not thinking too highly of yourself. It's a right view of ourselves. So I want to challenge us first to think about what is a right view of who we are? Well, first of all, understand, as we hopefully know, we are made in the image of God. God has made all of us in his image. We are all unique, but all special because we've been given that gift. But also, 
We have all rebelled against God and sinned. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have each turned to our own way. We're all rebels. We've all committed sin. We've all done what is wrong, what's displeasing to God. And so, yes, we were made in his image, but we're also fallen. We're guilty of sin. And it says we deserve to be eternally removed from the presence of God and cast away into the lake of fire. Romans 6, 23 tells us what we deserve, because I know as people, we always deserve fairness, right? I hear my kids say it all the time, that's not fair. What's fair in this situation is for the wages of sin is death. What we earned, what we deserve is to be forever separated from God. That is fair. But God provided you salvation through Jesus Christ. The second half of that verse, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God calls all who trust in him sons and daughters. God makes all who trust in him heirs to his eternal kingdom, from Romans 8. And God has given us all purpose, value, significance, meaning through his son Jesus. I love the quote we hear from Keller. We've said it many times here, but let me repeat it for you, because this helps us to have a right view of ourselves. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So a right view of ourselves is that we're all sinful and in dire need of a Savior. And Jesus came to earth, 100% God, 100% man, which we'll talk about in a little bit. He lived a life we can never live to pay the price for our sins on a cross. Jesus died, was buried, rose again, proving victory over sin, death, and the grave. By the power of God alone, we are saved, and by God's power, we are able to live each day. Which means this is why our posture should be one of humility. We're not standing on our gifts, our actions, our power. We stand because of Jesus alone and who we are in Christ alone. Those who trust in Jesus are valued because of Jesus. And we have significance because he alone has given us significance. We don't need to compete for it or put others down to feel superior. Because as we sang, we should know we are loved, fully loved, fully accepted, and fully valued by Christ and considered God's own children for those who trust in him. So first, God calls us to have a posture of humility. Second, let's look at this idea of counting others more significant than ourselves or considering others more significant than ourselves. So what does that word significant mean? Well, the Greek word tells us it means to hold something above or superior, to put in superior rank, authority, or power. So, superior rank for us means viewing yourselves here, which is good, but then viewing others where? Here. Above. Not equal. That leads to a whole other problem of selfishness kind of coming in saying, oh, got to keep it balanced. No, God says, right here. This is how you treat people. 
Counting them as superior or higher rank does not mean that they are superior. But that's how you view and treat them. You say, that, is that, you sure that's how that word comes across? Yep, because Paul uses it again. Oh, we really flew ahead there. There it is. Because God uses that same word in chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse 8, Paul said this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. That word surpassing means of greater significance. And this is coming off of Paul talking about by the world standard, or especially by the Jewish standard, I am like the Jew of the Jews. I'm amazing in their light, in their standard, because my heritage, because my training, because of all that I've done, by their world, I'm up here. He says, I count all of that as rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. That is more significant than all those other things. And I believe we would agree with that statement. The idea that your most important decision you ever made was not about who you were going to marry. It was not about what school you're going to. It was not even about what you're going to do for work the rest of your life. The most important decision we can ever make is do we trust and believe in Jesus Christ? That is superior to all other decisions. And that is how this word is being used in this passage by Paul. That we are to count others more significant, higher rank than ourselves. Now the world, not quite there yet, the world views this differently. The world's view is that, sure, valuing people is okay when it's convenient, but it's important to understand that you need to focus on you. If you don't value you, who will? Now, as Christians, we know the answer to that, don't we? God. God values you, as we talked about. God cares about you. You are precious to him. He fully loves you, accepts you. You don't need to seek that from anywhere else. It's also important to realize what this passage is not saying. The passage is not saying that we need to undervalue ourselves or treat ourselves as worthless. That's not what it's about. A right view of yourself is to understand that you are loved by God. Which means if you're loved by God, you are loved by us, the church. We care about you. God cares about you. You matter. You are important. So lesson one. We are called to have a right view of ourselves and to focus on viewing and treating others with greater significance. Now obviously the question coming off of this should naturally be why. Why can't it just be equal? Why can't I treat some people better. But if people are really evil, is that necessary? We start making little choices in our own mind about how we want to follow God's commands. Our motivation and source of power is the key to understanding the why. If your motivation 
To count others more significant than yourselves is simply from because God said so? Then your mind is not going to be in the right place, which means your heart is not going to be in the right place, which means you're not going to do it. Instead, Paul stresses the motivation to count others more significant than yourselves stems from our position of having the same mind or mindset, and that mindset is Christ. Verse 5 our passage says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So the unity of mind that Paul is calling them to in verse 2 is possible because of our union with Christ. Because of our union with Christ, we have the mind of Christ. Galatians 2.20, Paul said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Christ is our head and we are his body. We have died to ourselves and are alive in Christ, unifying us to him. So what is the mindset of Christ that we also have? Well, verses 6 to 11 tells us, What's beautiful about verses 6 to 11, in case you didn't know, this passage is called the Christ hymn. It is so beautiful. When we read it, when we study it, when we sing about it, because it's talking about the heart of Christ. Why he did what he did and what he did. Because Jesus is selfless. Verse 6, go through this verse by verse, says this, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So first we need to recognize that Jesus is 100% God. But also understand he always is 100% God. He never becomes 50%. He He also does not completely lose his position as God. He is always 100% God. This verse is telling us or showing us that Jesus' mindset was even though he is 100% God, deserving of all worship, honor, power, control, all the rights of God, he deserved them all. He chose to not hold those things for his own advantage. But instead, verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Now, empty does not mean that Jesus gave up his so-called godness. He's still 100% God. Instead, Paul uses this word actually a couple times in Scripture, in Romans and 1 Corinthians, to reflect the idea of being made nothing or rendered powerless. So in this context, emptied does not mean the loss of divine attributes, but Jesus Christ made himself powerless with no apparent significance choosing to take the form of a servant or a slave. Jesus chose this position of least significance so he could elevate us to greater significance. He chose to count us more significant than himself. Jesus maintains being 100% God while also being 100% man or human. Which then leads to verse 8. In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
So understand this, being found in human form, Jesus was not just pretending to be human. Coming down here, everybody's eating, so I guess I'll have some food. Everyone's sleeping. I'm going to go lay down, pretend like I'm asleep. No, he was tired. He needed food. He was hungry. He suffered all the ways that we suffer, yet without sin. He was and is 100% human. And also notice how he chose to die. It says he humbled himself. See, Jesus chose to give up his life to the humiliation and torture of the worst possible death, death on a cross. Hebrews 12, 2 reminds us of Jesus' posture. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He chose to do that. He wasn't forced by God. He chose out of love for the glory of the Father and for our greatest good to go to the cross. Which leads to becoming obedient. In submission to and for the glory of the Father, Jesus laid down his life for us, sheep. Jesus in the garden, just before getting arrested and going to the cross, said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus submitted to the Father's plan and willingly laid down his life for the joy of bringing glory to God by redeeming us. In verses 9 to 11, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus humbled himself to the lowest possible position. And after completing the Father's mission and bringing glory to the Father, we see Jesus' glory being revealed and declared again. A position that by name was always his, but hidden during his time of humiliation and struggle. The mindset of Jesus is selfless. He put the Father in us first, which meant becoming a human to redeem us. We did not earn or deserve his redemption, which means valuing, I'm sorry, we did not earn or deserve his redemption, yet his mindset was freely offering us redemption because he chose to value us. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can be freed from sin and become a new creation that is united to Christ, giving us his mindset. So lesson two, we should desire to have the mind of Christ, which means valuing others as more significant than ourselves for the glory of God. See, what you need to understand about God, before anything was created, God, Father, Son, and Spirit existed, fully loving, fully caring, fully pouring glory on the other, selflessly. God the Father loving the Son and Spirit. God the Spirit loving the Son and Father. God the Son loving the Spirit and the Father. All of them equally loving, caring, and pouring glory onto the other. And upon Jesus' sacrifice, God is able to invite us back into that. We're able to be a part of God's glory. He's pouring his love on us. It's flowing to us so we can love God and love others. But it's because of what Jesus did that he's able to invite us into that. 
Apart from him, we would have no ability. So the third question, how? How do we humbly count others more significant than ourselves? Let's go back to verse 1. This is an amazing verse filled with a lot of rhetorical questions or statements. It says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. See, Paul is asking these things to help the Philippians say, yeah, all those things are true. But let's look through them. If there's any encouragement in Christ for you, who are you because of Jesus? Who are you because Jesus chose to count you significant, chose to give you value, chose to come and save you? Are you just a person who's free from sin? No. You're free from sin, but you're also a child of God because of what he chose to do. You're also a part of his kingdom. You're also a part of his family. We have been blessed with the joy of being a part of a family together because of Jesus. Is there any encouragement in who we are in Christ? Absolutely. And think about the fact that what are you able to do because of your union with Christ? You're able to be used by God to further his glory, to be able to go out and proclaim his good news. What a privilege we have to be able to be free to actually love others the way God designed us. Is there any comfort from love? Have you ever imagined how much God loves you? How much God cares about you? I trusted in Jesus Christ many years ago. Since then, I have continued to sin. I have continued to do wrong. I've continued to displease God, do things that were contrary to what God would ever want me to do. And what amazes me is, guess what? He still fully loves me because his love is unconditionally being poured out on me. He forgives me of those things. He restores me. His mercies are new every day. What a blessing it is to be comforted by a loving God. Any participation in the Spirit? This might be news to you, but everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ immediately is given the Spirit of God. God's Spirit is actively working in you. And what's real beautiful is while He's working in us individually, He's working in us as a body, together for the same purpose and goals, the same mindset of Christ. Any affection and sympathy. Now for the Philippians, being asked this question is a no-brainer. Because throughout their story, their history, they have been loving and pouring into Paul. While Paul's been a missionary, they've been sending financial support, they've been sending people, they've been praying for him. When he went to jail, that didn't change. They were still pouring on compassion for him, having sympathy for him, deep seated care for Paul. You could see the love of God flowing out. And Paul's like, is there any affection and sympathy among you? It's like, absolutely, Paul, you know there is. He's like, exactly. Let's get these divisions resolved so you can grow in this. 
You're doing such a great job, church. Keep it going. For us, Grace Baptist Church, is there any affection and sympathy here? Absolutely. I think about Grace Gives. That wasn't an event that was put on by 10 people. It wasn't just the paid staff going out and doing all the work. It was us as a church loving on our community, caring for them, stepping up and doing hard things every single day. And it goes well beyond Grace Gives. Even talking about Tina Sakers and her situation with health, there was no shortage of people willing to step up and serve through prayer, through financial support, through wanting to care for her when she returns. Because we love each other. Even if you are thousands of miles away. What an amazing blessing it is to be part of this church family. Is there any affection and sympathy here? Absolutely. Because God is at work here. We do care for one another. And God's challenge to us, let's grow in this. Let's continue to deepen our love for each other, our care for one another, which means getting rid of the selfishness that causes divisions, that causes pride to creep in and value others as less. Let's eliminate those things. God is providing the mindset, which is yours in Christ. God is a source pouring into you. God is providing guidance and strength through his spirit. So what's left? We are simply called to rest in the way God made us and to live the way God designed us. This is our source of how we can truly count others more significant than ourselves. Understanding who we already are in Christ. I don't need to go out there and fight for it. I don't need to go out there and make a name for myself because I'm already all I need to be in Christ. And so are you. Paul gives us one solid example in verse 4 of how we can live this out. He says, Let each of you not, or sorry, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interests of others. He gives a clear example of what it means to count others more significant than yourself by starting with you actively looking out for the interests of others. This is not a passive waiting for someone to come to you with a need. But you are actively alert and paying attention. But this is impossible to do effectively apart from the body. You have to be involved in community. Those with needs and those with the ability to help those with needs need to be actively involved in the body. Otherwise, how will your needs ever get known? Or how will you ever know where you can help meet someone else's needs? And I'm not just talking financial needs. There is a place for that and a need for that. But we have needs that go way deeper than that. We need love. We need teaching. We need exhortation. We need people to stir us up. We need people to serve us. And we too need to do those things for others and all the one another's that you see through Scripture. God is calling us to do that actively together, which means we have to be actively involved in looking for those opportunities, not consumed with ourselves, but seeing, God, where can you use me for your honor and glory? And let it just flow. As you're pouring into me, let it flow to them. 
We all fall in both categories. You have needs, and you have the ability to meet needs. Every need in this church cannot be met by one person, but every need of this church can be met by everyone involved in this church. Just an example, during the announcement time, I mentioned the need of our church family. The need for men and women to help carry or care for and befriend children who have various kinds of special needs. Did you hear that announcement and maybe ignore it because you assume you have nothing to offer? Did you hear that announcement and maybe felt like, I'm already too busy. I don't have time to think about that. Or maybe the announcements have never crossed your mind because you kind of assume like it's like the commercial break in worship. That's not a foreign phrase. I've heard that this past Wednesday. And so the mindset is you zone out. You weren't even paying attention to what was being discussed or shared. Let me help you understand that the announcements are vital because they are sharing information about the life of our church family. The announcements are opportunities to serve, in this particular case, serve special needs families. Because guess what? Those people that I'm talking about are here amongst us or would love to be here among us. But they have a need. Can we consider families with children who have special needs to be more significant than ourselves? Can we consider these children and desire to pour the love of Christ on them as he continues to pour on us? I'm reminded of the time Jesus went to eat with Simon the Pharisee in his home. For those of you who don't know, the way this situation went, Simon went to this man's house to have a meal. This man did not value Jesus. He did not count him significant. He kind of saw him as worthless. His view was, I'm amazing, very proud. You're basically like, you're lucky to be here in my house. So Jesus comes in. He does not treat him well. He does not treat him as an honored guest. Instead, he chooses to make the opportunity to try to catch him, to question him, to test him. Not loving. But then a woman comes in, crying, falls at his feet wets his feet with her tears, wipes his feet with her hair. And we quickly see this person clearly values Jesus, loves Jesus. Now, I don't have a lot of hair, but I assume you men or women who have a lot of hair don't use it to wipe your own feet. That's not something we normally do or they would have normally done. She valued Jesus immensely. Now, I'm sure if I was to say to you, you know what, Jesus is coming to your house today. He's going to visit your home and have lunch with you. Anyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ would be excited about that. To have Jesus in my home, eating at my house, I would prepare the house, make sure it's as clean as possible, make sure you know, we're preparing the best meal possible for Jesus, inviting friends to come and get to see Jesus, spend time with him, because he would be an honored guest in our home. You know what Jesus is saying? Yeah, you would do that because you value him. You see him as significant. And God's saying, treat the body that way. Value one another the same way you would value Jesus. His love pouring into you should flow into them. 
Lesson three. With the right view of ourselves, we need to view and treat others as we would Jesus. Seeing them as valued. Care for them. Which means I don't need to be selfish. There's a need. I'm not going to determine, yeah, I've helped them ten times before. That's my limit. Or they're always asking for help. They're always negative. We can make a thousand excuses why we don't love people. My encouragement to you is to love, to care, to consider others. And I mentioned one need with special needs, but there are many. Like I mentioned with the ministry fair, what an opportunity to learn about what's happening here in our church family and how you can be a part of that. And if you have needs, how you can find out if, how we can help you and serve you as well. So my encouragement to each of us, understand having a right view of yourself. You are loved by God, cared for by God, accepted by God. May that impact our mind to understand we have a mindset of Christ. As a body, let's go and consider others more significant than ourselves, being willing to put them first. And if you're here today and you say, I don't know this, what you're talking about with Jesus. Yes, I've heard you sing about it. Yes, you talked about what Jesus did. But I don't know if I believe it. I don't know if I'm saved, if I'm part of God's family. Then my encouragement to you is, come talk to us. We would love to share with you what it means to trust in Jesus Christ. What it looks like. Because guess what? God's saying, I loved you. Jesus paid it all. We owe him nothing. Because of Jesus, we have life. And he's offering it to you. You can be a part of his family. You can be a part of his kingdom. Your sins can be fully paid for, past, present, and future. If you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he came for you just as much as he came for me. So I encourage you, ask. Don't walk away not knowing. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in prayer because we know you are a good, loving, amazing God. You're a God who is always there. And Father, we thank you for your son. He didn't just set a good example for us. He did what we could never do. He died on the cross, was buried and rose again, proving victory over sin and death. Apart from him, we would have nothing. But because of you, we have all. Because of who we are in Christ, we have life. And God, because of that, may we willingly and lovingly, as you pour into us, let us pour that into others. Let us consider one another more significant than ourselves because we are fully valued, loved, and cared for by you. We're not losing anything. We're gaining a brother and sister, helping them as we go together in life. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy in times when we fail. By your strength, let us love one another. Let us grow in this as a body because we know you are doing an amazing work here. Let us continue to grow in our faith, grow in our trust as we are unified in you. God, I thank you for all you do and may you remain all to us. I pray in your son's name, amen.